What if you grew up in a belief system that told you everything around you was an illusion? What if you were told everything that happened to you, from being sick to stubbing a toe to being bullied at school, was your fault for not knowing the truth? What if you were denied even the most basic health care, from pain pills to checkups to vaccinations? How do you unravel yourself from this belief system? And what happens when you do? My name is Hillary Alexander, and this is Leaving Christian Science. I'm Hillary Alexander, and this is the very first episode of Leaving Christian Science. Um, I grew up in this religion. I was born into it and uh, left very slowly over, over several decades. And it's never entirely left me, you know, this experience of growing up in a a high control group, or as some may call a cult. I, I personally call it a cult. I know there's a lot of different opinions about that, um, but it, there, there are aspects of it that that stay with you. And I've become really fascinated by other groups like this and finding the similarities has been really fascinating for me, listening to podcasts um, from ex-Mormons, ex-Jehovah's Witness, ex-Scientology, um, just seeing how the survivors of the, these groups have so many things in common and, and go through so many similar struggles. And I found that there wasn't a whole lot of resource for ex-Christian scientists, um, especially not ones that just leave faith systems entirely and don't adopt another system. So I wanted to put this out there as sort of a resource for anyone who might be curious about it or who's in it and thinking about getting out or having doubts or left and is feeling guilty <laughs> or left and is feeling like they're crazy or no one could possibly understand. Um, we definitely understand. So let's hear some ex-Christian science stories. Um, I'm gonna start with my sister, Madeline. Hi. <laughs> who shared our, our experience of growing up in Christian science. Um, we're gonna talk about what a childhood in Christian science is like, um, what it's like coming out of it, uh, what kind of repercussions there are later in life, and then also what happens with your aging parents as they, you know, try to navigate their later years with no medical intervention, which is something that people, ex-Christian scientists or Christian scientists our age, um, definitely all have in common, which is what happens when things start to fall apart on you and you can't see a doctor. What happens? So, uh, so this is Madeline. Uh, Madeline is 10 years older than me. So she has the experience of um, being in our family before Christian science was introduced. I think it's pretty rare to have adult converts. I would say most of the Christian scientists we know are like multi-generational, wouldn't you say? For sure. Yeah, that's yeah. a big thing. Yeah. So we don't have, you know, grandparents and great-grandparents. It was our mother that found yeah. Christian science when she was pregnant with me. So Madeline was, you know, nine, 10 years old at the time, and I was born into it, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but our mother, you know, had a long history of getting herself involved with these sort of faith-based groups, and Christian science just happened to be the one that, for whatever reason, stuck. So Madeline, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, life with our mother before Christian science? What what was she into? What, what, what were you doing? Again, it, it's just snippets because it's, you know, I was only 10. So you know how that is. You don't really get a whole linear view. Um, but 
the one I remember the most was macrobiotics, which wasn't religion. Well, maybe it was religion, actually. Um, and she got into that uh, I would, probably from about age four to seven-ish or something like that. We were into that. Yeah. Um, for so those we're talking mid-60s for anyone who's- For sure. Yeah, the whole hippie thing and the whole yeah, deal. It was a thing. And for those who don't know what macrobiotics is, I think most do because of Erewhon and those places. But um, no sugar, it's all diet. No sugar, all whole grains, no meat or even fit, maybe fish. In I think any. there was fish. Yeah, no meat. It was a very Japanese sort of base. It was. So there's a lot of seaweed, brown rice, vegetables. Yeah. yeah. And too much salt. And in, in, in the later years, especially the family who founded it, uh, the, the Michio, Michio Kushi. Kushi. Yeah. yeah. Um, all ended up with horrible gastrointestinal stuff because Interesting. Of, uh, yeah. In fact, I think one of the daughters died from stomach cancer anyway. Oy. Um, so yeah, so we were into macrobiotics for, for quite a number of years, which was sort of, I think, a precursor to going, going deeper into the crazy, you know? Um, I remember we lived in Mexico at the time and it was my maybe fifth or sixth birthday and you know kids are all excited about their birthday cakes right <laughs> and she created this like peanut whole wheat heart-shaped cake that weighed like 30 pounds and she decorated it with green grapes and it was just such a wah wah moment you know <laughs> well there's an amazing picture of you in front of this cake which yes we need I wish to frame I had it, somewhere but... I mean, one imagine. thing yeah. I, I, I have some of the macrobiotic cookbooks still. Yeah. And one thing I find really interesting and, and that's such a thread through this and Christian science and so many other belief systems is it's all about control. Yes. And it's all about denial of, of pleasures as yeah. some kind of odd penance or punishment in a way, not that that was a, a macrobiotic thing, but like there's, I don't know if you remember this in macrobiotics, there's like all these different levels of what you eat and like you become more pure or more enlightened as you eat fewer things. Yes, I remember so, that. Yeah, Very so finally like, yeah, level seven is just brown rice. Oh my God. And you're supposed to like have some sort of enlightenment from that, that you become so pure that you can exist only on brown rice. And I remember our mother talking about it in these sort of like reverent tones, like I, I made level seven once and I just felt totally high. And it's like that all these groups have the same thing mm -hmm. of like doing these physiological things to yourself and yet thinking it's magical. Mm. When it's really just a bodily function or a brain function. Right. You know, like right. meditation is all about shutting down external stimuli to create a certain physiological response in your brain that's very pleasurable. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like magical about it. Nothing magical. You know, and nothing. I don't think our mother ever really grasped that. And a lot of people still don't of there's nothing magical about any of these things. Right. It's all just a way of manipulating your, your body and your brain function to achieve a result right you know but right. obviously many of these things are harmful you know just eating brown rice is extremely oh, harmful ridiculous and you then the whole, remember if you had to chew each mouthful like 50 times in order to 
Yeah, and you can't anything. drink water that's either too hot or too cold. It has right. a temperature. I mean, there's a million rules of how to cut vegetables to be in harmony with the universe. Yeah, you know, and, and then to point to point to the hypocrisy of macrobiotics. I remember once, and she was with me. This was after we left, I think. Uh, we saw Michio Kushi going into a Dunkin' Donuts. We were in the parking lot. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> did, did, did you know? Did you know no. Yeah. Oh yeah. my so god. There, there you go. In a yeah. nutshell. Yeah. So, so, so our so, mother, yeah. you know, drags you all over South America basically <laughs> in your childhood. Um, being macrobiotic. I think at one point she did a macrobiotic cooking show in Brazil. Is that she did. yeah? She did. She's really met good my father. You know, she had divorced your dad, met my father in Brazil right. through right. macrobiotics, interestingly. Yeah. Yeah. And then they came back to the United States, got married, and got pregnant with me. Mm -hmm. And you know, the apocryphal story of how Christian science came into our lives was that she found it at a bookmobile. That, yeah. That Does that sound familiar? Not. Yes. Now, I had always thought that Christian scientists did not proselytize. And that was something I was sort of oddly proud of. Like, well, we mm -hmm. don't, you know, ring doorbells and we don't put literature out. We just, people just find us because it's so awesome, you know? Um, but that's the story she told was that there was a bookmobile. And I don't know if it was a Christian science bookmobile or just a book van had books in no, it I happened it was, to find i think it was specifically cs which they okay. probably did, did away with it one at some point and realized it was not a good fit for the yeah. proselytizing yeah. narrative so right. you know that's the story of how this came into our lives is that she found probably science and health for um, sure and just for some bizarre reason was like this is it <laughs> yeah i'm sold this yeah. is the thing and somehow managed to get my father, her sister, her sister's husband, and consequently their two kids, yeah, into this bizarre, already dying, like Victorian mystical cult. Yeah. And they all bought it. And everyone was just like full in, which is yeah. still really difficult for me to wrap my brain around. That all of these people were like, let's do this. Let's do this. Well, part of that is our mother was very, you know. Persuasive. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> pushy, but persuasive. Pushy. Yeah. yeah. She, she had a really strong personality and she just had her way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think it was part of it? Oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the family yeah. dynamics between her and her sister and all that was, yeah. you know, definitely played into that. So, so that was how it began. Um, and then she, when my, she and my father got divorced, she, you know, as a struggling single mom, you know, I think one of the first jobs she had was probably, didn't she do security at the church center? In she Boston? did. Yeah, yeah, she did. And then. And other things too. I she did a lot of sort of odd jobs at the church. We were living in Boston at the time. Yeah. And so she probably lived it more intensely than we did in the sense that it was her living it was her mm -hmm. faith it was you know we at least got to like go to regular school and have like non-cs <laughs> interactions yeah. with people i but mean i think was... the only thing that we were involved with was sunday school and for you the the children's room which is just such a creepy thing to say but <laughs> i don't remember being called that but yeah oddly i do have positive memories of of yeah, the church center yeah in boston yeah. for those of you who don't know yeah uh, christian science is based out of boston the main the mother church is there and there's this giant church center that was built 
you know, first in the late 1800s, and then I think built upon up into the 70s, probably. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were in it, like we were in the belly of the beast, as it were, in Boston, going to the annual meetings, going to church, Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, and then later, when we moved to New York, um, we the churches we attended in New York City were you know, these giant mausoleums built, built probably in the 1870s and 1880s that were meant to seat thousands of people. And by the 80s, you know, the congregations were down to, you know, 10, 20 people, mostly yeah. little old ladies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember as a child, and you'll have to tell me if you had this experience too, of going to Sunday school and being either like the only kid there or being one of two or three and sort of this, I remember this, the, the hungry look of the ushers, you know, <gasps> oh, and a new child, you know? And just even then, you know, even as like a nine, 10 year old girl, I remember being extremely creeped out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by these, these sad churches with sort of these droning lugubrious organs and all these little old people and everybody's friendly. I mean, I'm not going to say they're not everybody's friendly. Everybody's friendly, yeah. But there was there was always this sense of we were seeing the end, the depressing end of something. You know, yes. it didn't feel vibrant. It didn't feel no. like no. a happy, well place. Yeah. yeah. You know, which I think is the appeal of a lot of these mega churches and sort of younger churches. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's people in jeans and, you know, they listen to music and it's hot, yeah. it's hip and happening and... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, polar opposite of our experience. Yeah, very stodgy, very old feeling. And also a lot of people that looked unwell for obvious yeah. reasons because they'd never been to a doctor. You know, you'd have some guy sitting there that had like a thing hanging off his neck and just really upsetting images, you know? Yeah. 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 So do you remember early experiences of starting to go to churches? Do you remember what it was like having this introduced into our lives, like reading the lesson and stuff like that? Do you have any memories of that time? Again, snippets. Um, most of the early memories were when we lived on the Jamaica Way in Jamaica Plains. You were really, really young. Yeah. And um, I remember one incident where I had cut my finger somehow. I was in the kitchen chopping vegetables and I cut into my my ring ring finger on my right hand. And um, you know, you don't call a doctor. <laughs> and she called a practitioner. And of course, you pray about it and all this nonsense that maybe you can get into later if you want, but let me move on from that. Um so, so, okay, so the practitioner was called and then we went to the Wednesday evening testimony meeting and my finger was better because it Fingers gets better. <laughs> and my mother looked down at my finger and she was just like, oh my God, you've been healed and it's so wonderful. And she got up and told the testimony about it. And it was, even then, it was, I, it was cringy for me at the age of whatever I was, 11 or 12, it, it felt it, a disconnect. You know, I wasn't sure yeah. what it was, but it just didn't feel right. I was like, but maybe it just got better, you know? Um, and then there was another incident where she was in the kitchen fighting with your father, <laughs> unfortunately, and a, a pan of boiling water fell on her thigh. Do you remember that? I remember being told about it. Yeah. Um, 
And again, another situation where she called the practitioner and then, you know, she went and had it bandaged at the uh, Benevolent Association. Okay. The, um, I guess old folks homes, what do we call them in normal English? I don't know. Yeah, probably a, like a senior care center or something. Yeah, right, you know? right. where, where you were allowed to be tended by a Christian science nurse and she got bandaged or whatever. And it took a long time to heal. But when it finally did, she was like, oh my God, it's healed. It's all bad. It, it just, the lunacy of it. Anyway. Um, but so you were able to see that. Like you were able to see that this was not quite right. Particularly with my finger. That was the biggie because- you know, it just got better. Yeah. It yeah. See, I didn't have that. And maybe it's something of being born into it. I didn't have any reference point. Yeah. So for me, all so of these things, there. those little incidents, you know, all throughout our childhoods of these minor injuries and illnesses and things, they were real healings. You know, mm -hmm. to me, they were very real. Because again, as a Christian scientist, you're not taught how the body works. You're not taught about what a normal healing time actually is. <laughs> right, right. So it's set up in such a way that anything is a healing. Even, you know, and they managed to do the mental gymnastics that even when something isn't healed, which a lot of times things aren't, if they're severe enough, mm -hmm. that, oh, it's not really about that. Oh boy. You know, it's- it's That's a favorite, yeah. We're, we're moving past the physical. It, this is really That's a right. spiritual problem that we're attacking. You That's know, right. One, That's once right. they once they have to recognize that the the, the so-called healing isn't happening, it's like, well, it's not about that anyway. It's about, I mean, what would they call it? Like like spiritual awakening or or ascension or some generic term. Yeah, I, I can't remember. So much so much of it is fuzzy, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when it, it, it yeah when you get to the grand excuse, right that it, it's something else. It's not about the physical healing. She did that so much. Yeah. And it was just, it was heartbreaking, honestly. Yeah. It really was, especially when you get into like the serious illnesses, you know? Yeah. Um, but I remember being young and happily getting up to give testimonies, you know, about my parakeet being healed of some illness or you know just little funny kid things and everyone was right. always delighted by it of course because you're a cute little kid right and I just I remember that feeling of knowing that she would be so pleased mm. you know that you got up and yeah and that the other adults there would be so delighted yeah and it was and it felt real so it didn't feel performative even though it sort of was because it was mm. a sense of like oh, I'm going to perform this for these adults and they're going to pat my head and tell me how good I am, mm. you know? And yeah. that was a way, I mean, all, all children develop ways to get their parents' approval, obviously. Sure. It's a normal thing. And yeah. I think probably for us going along with this yeah. and performing it was a big part of getting love from her. Absolutely. You know? And, and just as an aside, I mean, I think all kids think that their parents are perfect or yeah. want to think that they're and smart but I really did I thought that you know she was the be all end all and she really was just on top of it as a human yeah you know? um took a long time to unravel that so yeah you just figure that her word is gospel and therefore the CS business is is it right yeah yeah 
Yeah, I mean, she she rode through the world with such confidence. She did. Which really, which really masked a deep, intense insecurity. Of course, we know that now. But yeah, it was very difficult to oppose her. Very <laughs> difficult. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm raising two kids now that that don't have any belief system and you know, they'll, they'll, we'll talk about this stuff a lot because I, I find it interesting and I, I want them to know my history and I want them to understand how the world works, you know, and how our yeah. brains work. And yeah. they'll ask me, why do people believe these things? Because some of them are just so ridiculous. They just can't believe mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I always say, well, look, when everyone around you and people that are smart and that you trust tell you that something is, you believe it. Yeah. You know, especially when it's people that that you really look up to and 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 trust, like your parents or a teacher or an adult that seems to really have it together. You, it's it's natural. It's you know we can't fault ourselves for falling yeah. for this thing because the people that we trusted and thought were smart told us this is true. That's right. You know, okay. and also, I mean, there's so many things about groups like this, especially. Christian science, which again, I, you know, is so small and so sort of beleaguered. <laughs> That's such it's, a good description. You know, it's, it you develop this sort of like us against the world mentality, which causes mm. you to double down even further into it. Yeah. That, because it becomes your identity. I mean, even now, like being an ex-Christian scientist is one of the things that makes up my identity, like it or not. Yeah. I mean, I spent, yeah. you know, what, 30 years in this thing? Yeah. And it and it influenced my decision making and my, <laughs> yeah. my life and my mentality for most of my life. I mean, how can I pretend it wasn't there, you know? Yeah. So it becomes your identity, which is another reason to sort of double down into it. It's like you're not attacking that thing. You're attacking me. Mm -hmm. This is that's me. right. Yeah. You know, and, and stuff still lingers, you know, it yeah. still lingers. Yeah. Um, I was always. um. And this was probably as I got into my late teens, early 20s. I was always embarrassed by it. I never told any of my friends. Oh, wow. Um, one friend came to visit me when we were living on the Lower East Side. And she saw the Bible by my um, bedstand. And she said, oh, my God, you read the scripture? And I can't remember what I did, but I quickly just looked, like hid it away. Yeah, I was always embarrassed by it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm not sure why. Yeah. 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 Heard. That's so, it's so interesting that you had a different feeling about it. I, I'm not going to say I was, it was something I talked about a lot with people, but I didn't hide it. And mm. I, I wasn't embarrassed by it. I don't think. Yeah. I think for me, it was because we didn't go to doctors and all my friends went to doctors. So I would make up stories about going to the doctor and yeah, I mean, I really, so funny. I created a whole thing. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I never told you. No. No, that's that's why this is so interesting because we can. There's stuff that we didn't know. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I definitely got a lot of pushback, um, especially from boyfriends as I got older. You know, oh, I bet they push back hard. Yeah. You know, and it and of course it just at that age we're talking like teens, early twenties. You know, made me just double down harder. But of course, like they were right about everything. They were right about everything. I remember this one guy told me, Hillary, you're so smart. Mm. How can you believe this? How can you believe this? Yeah. 
And my reaction at the time was just to be like really defensive and angry and lay off, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but he was right. They were all right. All the people that, that questioned me throughout my, my youth. Yeah. They were right. <laughs> and, 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 and I don't know how family did it. I mean, you know, my father and my stepmother, my other half sister, they all thought it was cuckoo, but they somehow, I don't know how they did it. Yeah. Our grandparents, they all just you kind know, of God, like right, stood by and, yeah. you know, the just, most shocking thing I heard, I, I just still like, part of me can't believe this was true, but I remember our aunt telling us that our grandmother, who obviously was not Christian science, said to her, well, at least Amy, Amy is our mother, at least Amy is looking after her daughter's spiritual needs. Really? Yeah. Right. I remember our, our aunt telling us that. Wow. But our grandmother was somehow like, loved the idea or just was like behind it in a way that, well, at least we're, we're growing up in something. That's so funny because the only time she ever went to church was for a funeral, basically. Yeah, because she wasn't religious. At all. Like, where did that come from? I, don't I, so I can funny. only guess that most of these people must not have really known what Christian science was about. Right. Maybe they thought it was Scientology like everyone else. <laughs> but oh, that's funny. That's yeah, funny. so I, 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 I was very proud of it. And I sort of wore it as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I'm in this like odd little sect. Mm but I'm super into it and I'm super devout. And I mean, I was, I was a true believer, you know, I'm yeah. not going to ever say that as much as I had doubts here and there, I was super into it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I can't remember when I became super into it. Cause I was, I think it was probably in my early late twenties, early thirties. Um, when there was a click from, I know what it was, which of course turned out to be chronic anxiety, but I thought that I had developed a heart problem. You remember all this, right? Talk about it yeah. all the time, um, you know, beating heart, shortness of breath, whatever. And of course I couldn't go to a doctor to find out what it was. Um, so I sort of, I really delved into the books and to try to you know make some connection, like what was I doing wrong, all right? our favorite thing. What, what was I doing wrong that created this heart problem? Um, and of course, at that point, uh, our mother also was having some really physical stuff going on, right? I can't remember even where it started, but it was like a whole thing with her bladder and whatever. So she was diving deep too. Um, yeah. And then, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so so that's when I really started to study hard. And of course, nothing was getting better, you know, and the, well, I'm jumping ahead because you might want to talk about when you, your, what it, when it clicked for you and when you left, because that sort of carries on to where I was with Amy at that point, maybe. I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead, you know, of the, of our story. Yeah. So we're yeah. probably getting into like the two thousands, right? Yeah, something like 2000s. that. So we're yeah. talking the last 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the, the unraveling of Christian science was a very slow process. Yes. You know, I mean, I can say it started when I was around 12, when I absolutely refused to go to Sunday school anymore. 
I don't know if you remember this. I kind of do. But yeah. I, and it wasn't yeah. that I didn't want to go to church. I was still all in. But mm. I just thought the Sunday school was stupid and infantilizing. And I wanted to sit in the church with the adults, you know. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> and somehow um, our mother's friend got involved in this. I think she must have been a Sunday school teacher or something. And she was very opposed to me not going to Sunday school anymore. And um, and we kind of got into it. You know, this is me, a 12-year-old with this adult. And and I, I finally just said, well, I just don't think it's God's will that I go to Sunday school anymore. Because I was just trying to find some language that she would accept. Right, right. <laughs> she would just let me stop going to Sunday school. Right. And she said, and well, well, whose will do you think it is? And I said, yours. <gasps> I do remember that. <laughs> Girl, amazing. And somehow, I mean, thankfully, our mother supported me in this. Yeah. You know, she did. Yeah. And uh, so I, I only went to church after that. But but the beginnings were there. You know, I, I kept diaries my entire childhood. I still have them all. Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly writing, I called it the question. Like, I'm still wrestling with the question. And for me, the question was, why do we have to fight so hard and study mm -hmm. so hard to know the unrealness of something if it's not real? Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why are we spending all this time and energy? Because Christian science, like a lot of these groups, it's it's if if you do all of the things you're supposed to do, is a real time suck. Oh, you know, you're reading this lesson every morning and that yeah. takes a good like half hour, 45 minutes. Oh, yeah. And I read this fucking thing every day yeah. before school, got up extra and if you, early. And if you're, mark, if you're marking the books, that's another. Yeah. Every course. Sunday night, you're marking your books with the little blue, <laughs> you know, thing and the little chamois and all that. <laughs> and, and then you're going to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. And yeah. then there's all this other crap. There's lectures, there's pamphlets. I had a whole bag full of pamphlets that I would yeah. read and all the other literature. And you're supposed to just spend so much time studying. <sighs> and it's all repetitive and it's all word salad and it's all utterly meaningless actually mm -hmm. when you read it with a clear mind as yes. I've done in the since, you know, I, I've revisited Science and Health years oh, ago. Oh, have you? It's still like a long time since I'd read it. Yeah. And it was just gobbledygook. Complete, it is. It, complete nonsense. Yeah. It was like reading something from a language that you spoke when you were a kid that you don't speak anymore mm. and trying to make sense of it and just being like, I can't even read this. Like it mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. And that's what it was. But as a Christian scientist, again, if you're doing all of the things that you're supposed to be doing, you're just in this endless loop of yes. battling, you know, these like forces that are coming together. Oh, yes. The forces. Yeah. You know, because we have to do protective work every morning. Yeah. We have to do our protective work. Right. And yet the thing that we're trying to protect ourselves from is not actually real. <laughs> what a colossal it's waste a of time. Colossal waste of time and a mind fuck. Yeah. Completely. Um, and the, the phrase that you and I use all the time, which is you still have to pick up your dry cleaning. <laughs> it's... That, that was the, the second part of the question was, so mm -hmm. you're telling me that none of these negative things in our human lives are real, but we still have to experience them. That's right. We still have to go through it. We still have to get up every day and be cold and go to a school that we don't want to go to and be 
bullied if that's happening or whatever. You know, you still have to have all these like negative experiences. Yeah. You still have to live it. And it yeah. feels super real. <laughs> and, and I think that the final frontier was that you would ascend or something. Like, yeah. There was right? this sort like, of like amorphous like concept of what the end thing is it wasn't like because obviously you don't actually die because you don't have a physical body and there is no mortal mind and all this crap but something does happen right like there is like an end game to all of this and it was sort of like well you ascend it's like well what's that (laughs) what do you mean you ascend are we talking about the rapture like what is this well i think there were stories about how mary baker eddy she was the discoverer and founder that she ascended right and, and I, I guess that means you know the, like those paintings you see of jesus going up into heaven is that what ascend? i'm not sure yeah we're not really sure i okay. remember asking my mother once like do we believe in reincarnation mm. and she said well we don't technically we don't believe in carnation <sighs> we can't believe in reincarnation and that was always the answer to every question you know it was mm. like well it's not real so right and there's a term yeah. I've learned recently in, in the cultiverse <laughs> <laughs> that I inhabit mo- most of my days. I listen to a thousand cult podcasts every day. And one of my favorite terms I've learned from that is uh, the thought stopping cliche. It's when you ask a question, wanting an answer, and you get just some like pat. That's right. Yeah. Like, like, like simply it would be like, well, it is what it is. We're- that right. would be a way to like stop someone and not and let not continue the conversation and not really answer them. And so you're just kind of like, uh, 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 okay. Right. So right. every question I asked our mother about like, what do we believe? And what about this? And what about this was always answered with this sort of, you know, like we, yeah. we believe in carnation, so we can't believe in this. Right. It's not really real. So blah, 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 blah. And you just kind of go, uh, uh, okay. <sighs> Cause how do you, how do you argue against it's not real? You know, it's kind of like trying to prove that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Mm. Like you can't right. prove a negative. It's sort of like right. neither prove he does exist by presenting him. But the, the other side that says he's not real, well, we have no proof that he's not real. He could be real. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then you're just stuck in this netherworld stuck. of negatives, like endlessly swirling. Yeah. And that drove me nuts because at the same time we had to we had to actually live these so-called material lives mm-hmm. and they sure felt fucking real. That's <laughs> you right. know, when That's you cut right. yourself, it feels really real. When when you're hurt, when you have a broken heart over a relationship, it feels real. It feels real. Yeah. And and, and, and there was no room for those human feelings, which no. was the most destructive, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's one one point I'd like to get out to our listeners is, you know, we were lucky in that we we were healthy. Thank God. You know, we didn't have chronic illnesses. We didn't, we weren't diabetic. We didn't, you know, pick up terrible viruses that, you know, no serious accidents really. Yeah. No accidents. I mean, we survived our Christian science childhoods by pure luck that we managed to stay relatively healthy and just have sort of normal childhood ailments. Yeah. But so for us, the medical neglect wasn't a huge issue it was more the emotional that's right neglect and you know i'd like to immediately stop down the the thought of like well that was just your mother yeah because yes and no (laughs) 
Like, yes. Partially, but no. Yeah. We, like everyone our age, suffered from 1960s and 70s parenting. <laughs> or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. <laughs> it was right. definitely normal in that respect. Like a certain amount of neglect we experienced. Pretty much everyone our age did. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to point to that. But the, the constant st- stamping down of any negative emotions or any reactions to anything and then backing it up with this religion that seemed like this giant powerful thing Mm -hmm. of you know everything is always your fault you know if you get sick if you get injured if you have a problem with another person it's always something that you did oh and that's incredibly damaging yes. <laughs> to children. Yes. I mean, it's damaging to adults, but imagine yes. spending your entire childhood every time you go to your mother for comfort over anything, over, you know, you stubbed your toe or somebody was mean to you at school yeah. and receiving no comfort and just that's being right. told, yeah. well, what did you do? Yeah. It was something in your thinking. Remember something in your thinking, or you hadn't tried hard enough, or you weren't knowing the truth enough. And right. sort of being sent off into a corner with a, a book written in the 1870s. Oh. Crazy person. You yeah. know, I mean, that's that's what I remember. That's what I remember from my Christian science childhood is yep. countless hours pouring over the Bible and science and health, like desperately looking for some comfort that we mm. never got. You mm. know, I'll never forget. I had I had all the like kids' books, right? Yeah. And I was I was getting rid of them. And a friend of mine happened to be over at the time and, you know, I was going through the books and getting them ready to be thrown out or given away or whatever. And, and I I looked at her and I said, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to let go of these because I got so much comfort from them. Hmm. And she said, well, if you had a mother that was comforting, you wouldn't have needed to turn to books for comfort. Oh, So, so those books were comforting to you, Travis yeah. to God and all those books. Interesting. Well, they were all I, I, I was older, so I don't, I don't have any yeah. connection to those. Yeah. yeah, they were, they were all I had, you know, those were the thing that were given to me in a time of crisis, hey. you know, yeah. I mean, it's really heartbreaking. Like, it I, is. I look it at is. that little girl, you know, um, and I've, I've done all the inner child work. So I feel, yeah. you know, like I've yeah. Like, yeah. processed, yes. uh, but I just, I just want to give her a big hug and just be like, it wasn't your fault. That's right. You deserve that. All those things that I desperately needed to hear as this, this little child, just trying to navigate the difficulties of growing up and having this extra weight of, you know, a a non-comforting mother. Yeah. (laughs) And a religion that, you know, was so deeply ingrained in my brain that also told me that everything was my fault and, I wasn't trying hard enough, you know? And the, the, the beauty of that is now you get to channel all that into your beautiful voice. Yeah. Th- that must be so gratifying it's, to be able to- I mean, talk about healing. Like that's really, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because yeah. it was interesting to watch these boys when they were little, little mm. and see how they operated as little toddlers where they get hurt. And even if it's not like a bad hurt, even if it's just a little thing, they want you to see it. That's right. You know, they immediately come to you and go, look. Mm. And how you react to that sets the stage 
Yes, the stage. You know, yeah. so if you kiss their boo boo and say, "Oh, I'm sorry that happened. Are you okay?" They're yeah. like instantly better, and they just run off and play. A little hug and a kiss. Yeah, you don't have to read a stupid book. But they want acknowledgement. It's not yeah. even about it hurts. I need it to stop hurting. It's about I want you to acknowledge this. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to watch. I was like, "Wow, look at that!" Yeah, it's so you know? cool. So it was interesting because cool. I was like, I was thinking of all the times I must have done that. <laughs> And, and you got know, nothing but got, oh, got nothing but it's not book. real oh you know i mean here I, I don't i didn't experience any of that because i was a little bit older you know yeah. i was in you know late teens early 20s when you were going through all that stuff yeah and i was i think i, I was out skiing and right. aspen and living <laughs> the wildlife I, I yeah that was when i dropped it all i was like oh enough yeah. of this. but then of course it sucks you back in yes yes it does <laughs> Yeah, so there were two examples of the whole it's not real thing that that are so profoundly ridiculous to me now, but made sense at the time. And this will give you a sense, anyone who's listening, of how insidious this stuff is. So our grandmother died, our mother's mother, when I was 15, you were 25. And that was the first death I had experienced. So it was a big mm -hmm. deal. Like that was a very mm -hmm. profound moment in my yeah. life, as it is for most people, I think, when you ex first experience death. Yeah. And I was super broken up about it because we just adored our grandmother. We loved her. Yeah. And I just remember our mother saying, you know, she's not really dead. This didn't really <sighs> happen. It's not real. And I remember like sort of popping into that mindset and having this momentary comfort of like, oh, yeah, you know, that's true. And like kind of feeling better for half a second as you do. But then realizing, oh, but I don't ever get to see her again. Right. Like she's gone. We're never going to have Christmas at her house or talk to her on the phone or. So even so, if you're saying she's not really dead, it's like, well, she's still gone, though. She's yeah. It doesn't make any sense. So yeah, that doesn't really help. It doesn't yeah. have to make me feel better. Yeah. I, I don't remember her saying that. I probably wasn't with I wasn't with you when you were talking with her, but. Yeah. But I remember her being dead. I yes. guess I'm sure because I was not really studying CS at the time. I definitely had a span there where I wasn't into it. So that I think that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome and it's awful. Yeah. I mean, that's it, you know. Yeah. Uh so so then the the second thing was when I moved to California and sh just shy of a year. In fact, I think it was almost exactly a year now that I think of it of when I moved here, the Northridge earthquake hit. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty intense for me. The building I was in went off the foundation. We had to like run out in a panic and sort of go back a week later and try to get our things out of, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of life-changing and had to move yeah. and all this stuff. And of course, you know, once I'm safe the next day, I, I call our mother who's freaking out. And again, she says, you know, it didn't really happen. Oh. <laughs> and I remember at that point thinking, so dumb yeah but i have to deal with all of this shit <laughs> like i have to find somewhere to live <laughs> i have to go clean out the unplugged refrigerator with all its rotting food like that's halfway across the kitchen so like even then it was sort of being stripped away of like yeah but yeah that doesn't mean anything you know that and i can't actually picture her saying that even in her cs brain you would think that she would say, oh my God, I'm so sorry about that earthquake. I don't know why. 
yeah, you know, sometimes well, she, she had have, these moments of She would clarity. have moments of clarity, yeah. yes. Yeah. She definitely had moments of doing normal mother things. She did, yeah. And being comforting. I'm not going to try to say she was like this cold bitch. <laughs> That's not true. Um, but always the CS thought would kick in. Of mm. like, oh, no, I can't say I'm sorry that happened because that's admitting it's real you know yeah so I guess this is a good point to fast forward to <laughs> the breakup the breakup the breakup of the mother Intense. and the religion Intense. yeah so I had so we're talking early 2000s I had had this slow pulling away um and and there were three sort of cultural things that happened in the early 2000s that really sort of jettisoned me out of the Christian science boat, the ever shrinking, yeah, <laughs> slowly sinking Christian science boat. Yeah. The first thing was I was always a big fan of the podcast, This American Life. Mm. And they had a segment on which took a part of Julia Sweeney's um, one woman show, Letting Go of God. Yes. And I heard this little snippet on the show and I was like, oh my God, what is this? I need to find it. And it's her story of of sort of uh, just losing faith and the journey it took her from starting off with, oh, I want to double down and really get into my Catholicism and really be a good Catholic and really study. And then just everything unraveling <laughs> at that point. So that was one thing. The other thing was uh, the documentary Religulous. Oh, yeah. Bill Maher's Religulous, which I rewatched recently. Um. I can't remember the third thing right now. All right, let's say those are the two things. So those are things that happened. It was probably some fabulous book or something that you read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, it was the God Gene. It was the article in the Time Time Magazine, the God Gene, where right. I realized that believing in a higher power is in fact like a neurological process. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that yeah. human brains do. This is something yeah. that we all do and have done. For yeah, we're all wired. We're all wired yeah. for this. And I remember that was the first thing that happened. And I was like, God damn it. So like, none of this is just magical. It's all just like chemicals. <laughs> like what the hell? And I remember being so angry. Yeah. I'm just being manipulated by chemicals. Like this isn't even a real thing. How old were you telling me? I was probably like early thirties. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like my pulling away had been slow. Like I hadn't been to church in probably a decade. You know, I, I long since stopped doing any like practicing, mm. but I still didn't go to doctors. I still didn't yeah. take pain pills because I was just at that point afraid, afraid of the unknown. And again, I didn't have major illnesses. I didn't have accidents. I didn't have a reason to go until I wanted to get on birth control. That was the reason I started going mm. to doctors. I had to. Had to. Had a choice. So, um, so there was, so what happened with our mother was, uh, there was this bizarre, uh, series of events where just a bunch of bad things happened to me all at once. Like my purse was stolen. My car was smashed completely totaled when it was just on the street. And then there was some other like crappy thing that happened like all at once, like in one week. Mm -hmm. And as was my want, I would, you know, Skype with our mother who was living in Brazil at the time. And you know, you always, you just, you still go for that acknowledgement, even if you never get it, which is so interesting yeah. to me. Talk but, about the slot machine analogy. Which yeah, is so I had a therapist yeah. who described 
this thing that we do and certainly children do with their parents where it's sort of like a slot machine where if you even get like a taste of acknowledgement or sympathy or comfort once, it's enough to keep you going, to keep trying and trying and trying. Even if a hundred tries after that, you get nothing. You're still like trying to get that back to that moment of, oh, she she actually reacted. She actually said, I'm sorry that happened. She actually. <laughs> Such a good analogy. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was really our whole is. life with her. But um, yeah. so we're Skyping and I, I tell her about these things that happened. And she goes off into the CS BS, as we like to call it, where you must not be doing your protective work you uh, know, because you've been exposed to this like knowledge. It means that, you know, there are these forces that are after you. And I forget if I told her in person on Skype or if I emailed her, but I finally said the words, you know, I have to tell you, I, I just really don't believe in this anymore. And it's something I've been putting off doing for several years because I sensed that the minute I really said it plainly, she would find a way to cut me out of her life. Like I just instinctively knew yeah. that the second I challenged her and or told the truth about what I really thought about this, that she would find a way to just never speak to me again. And sure enough, um, I think it was just a few days later, she sent me an email. I was due to go visit her in Brazil for Christmas. I had like three weeks. I'd gotten my visa. I'd bought the tickets. Everything was ready to go. She sent me an email saying, you know, I'm, I, I've made a decision for my own well-being mm -hmm. and I have to protect my health now. Mm -hmm. And your attitude about Christian science is so toxic that I feel like to be in your presence would be really dangerous for me and my health. I think she even intimated that it would like kill her if I was around her because I was so negative. Um, so I'm going to have to cancel our trip and not have you come visit. And, you know, I just, I, I just have to look out for myself now. Mm. And there are no I words pretty really. much immediately wrote back. I am so sick of you choosing this religion over me. I can't take it anymore. You will never hear from me again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then side note. So this all happens around Thanksgiving, right? <clears throat> and a couple of weeks go by and I'm sort of feeling like I need to fix this somehow. You know, like I, I don't really feel like I want to never speak to her again. And so I'm like this close to just writing her, hey, can we work this out? Can we find a way? Like, I understand I'm not coming to visit you, but we've got to like find a way to fix this. Right. But I didn't, I didn't write anything. And instead, I think it was like on Christmas Eve, she sends me an email just completely lashing out at me. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> unfortunately, this is where you come into it. Oh, <laughs> All right. It's a trio. I Where get it. it was all Madeline and I have been talking about this mm. and we've decided that you're an emotional mm. blackmailer. You've always mm. been like this, even when you were a little kid, that you're this and you're that. And just sort of like assassinating my character completely out of left field. And I'd like yeah. to point out too, that this was not the relationship that we all had ever. Yeah. Like as no. much as, yes, our mother was probably a narcissist. She was very troubled. 
we didn't have like an abusive relationship with her. She was always yeah. kind to us. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like she may have stamped down our feelings, but it was never done cruelly. <laughs> no, that's true. And she always allowed us to follow our paths and our dreams and our yeah. jobs. She was really so, good about that. However. I, yeah, I, I want to yeah. really emphasize that her doing something like this was so completely out of left field and something we yeah. had never experience like she never played us against each other ever 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 no, no. you know never. she never attacked us she never you know put us down I mean just this was just completely out of left field yeah it was incredibly hurtful but at the same time I knew it was it was all bullshit I knew something mm -hmm. was just going on with her and I had a friend at the time that read it and was like you know I think your mother's having a psychotic break yeah well at that point <laughs> remember she was alone in Rio and sick yeah. And I think that really the illness just sort of took over. It just yeah. took over. It became who she was. And it was just, she lived in this bubble and yeah, lost, yeah. lost, lost her mind. Yeah. yeah, she really did. She lost all touch with reality at that she point. She did. Yeah. And this was in 2006. So this was mm. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell us your, how it was oh, all of this? Craziness? Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> well, well, when, when, she told me that you had broken up with her. We'll call it that because I the the, divide, the split, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. Inside, I was like, yes, she did it. Oh, but wow. I was also terrified because I realized that's it. She's free, and I got to take this on. And I knew that I was in for it um, because by then, also, she was so manipulative with me and mm. so we were so codependent you know um I guess being the eldest and being parentified and all that stuff just got worse and worse and it got mixed up in this CS toxic mess toxic cloud is <laughs> it worth yeah that's right so I sort of became her even though she was in Rio but then she came back to New York I remember that in any case whether she was there or in New York, I was sort of the, I was everything. I was her all other than CS, you know, I gave her money and I took care of her and it just all, it, it all became so much. And I yearned to be in your position, <laughs> you know, um, because of course, all along I was having doubt, doubts about CS too, for sure. Always. I think, I think we all were always. In yeah. fact, I would say that all CSers, have doubts because it's so hard to wrap your head around yeah um yeah so um yeah I remember her talking to me about you and saying that you were just whiny and you were a bad daughter and you know just all these really hurtful things and that's I think that's right around the time she wrote that email to you right I don't know how many years later it was that I was finally able to, when did you leave? Two, 2008? It was two years. So this all happened at the end of 2006. 2006. And okay. then there was this terrible period, <laughs> you know, 2007 and eight, where she just really like glommed onto you. She did. Yeah. And I hardly saw you at all. In fact, yeah. I remember I was going to come out and visit and she um, talked me out of going. Yeah, because for the same reasons you were toxic. And I was toxic, hurt. but I believed her. I believed. Oh yeah, her. yeah. It was so hard. 
Well, I remember going to your house. I think I visited once for like some holiday and seeing like sentinels lying around. And I remember being like really annoyed. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to say, I can't believe you're still reading this shit. Right. (laughs) You know? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I knew, I knew that we were in this terrible place of she had completely controlled you at that point. Completely. And it was just a question of if you were going to be able to free yourself or not. And I just had to make peace with the fact that um, you may never be free of her, even after she died. After she's gone. That's right. I kind of had to go, okay, like, this is where we're at. And, um, and I, I, I've certainly heard enough stories of people standing on the outside of cults, wanting to help the people who are in it and Mm. really you know, everybody says the best thing you can do is just be there. Hmm. You know, don't try to talk them out of it. Don't try to argue with them. Yep, you never did. Just be present and let them do what they need to do. And so that they have a safe place to come when they do decide it's over. Yep. You know, so, so tell so us how it ended talk, for you. Let's talk about the over. The moment, <laughs> yes. Uh, again, it was um, steps towards that. It's never sort of one thing. Uh, but when she decided to move to New York, that was so difficult because, of course, I had to go to Rio and help her pack and go through all of that. And by then she was weak and we'll never know what happened to her. But, you know, there was something going on there. So she didn't have a lot of energy and we had to pack up and somehow I got all of her stuff into a couple of suitcases and we flew back to New York and then she lived with us for a while. And honestly, it was just all about her and never about anything else. And it re- and by then it really didn't even have a whole lot to do with CS anymore. Mm. It was just, you need to take care of me, right? Um, so she lived in New York for a while and then realized that that wasn't right for her either. Uh, and then she moved, remember she moved back to Connecticut and lived with our aunt and uncle. Do you remember that? I forgot about that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all she did was complain about them not being helpful. And it's really hard. It's like, yeah. you know, really hard. And by, And by then I really was so fed up with all of it. And I could see that she was no longer the mother that I knew, mm. like all, you know. Uh, so the final straw was Columbus Day weekend, 2018. 2008. <laughs> Sorry, 2008. And she was living in Boston and Beacon Hill. And she asked me to come for a visit, and I did. And um, it was just more of the same what can you do for me? And I'm so sick and I need to pray. And it's not about the disease anymore. It's about me trying to figure out how, I mean, it's just, oh my goodness. Um, and when I left that weekend, I I just made the decision that, that I was going to write her a letter because there was no way I was going to have a conversation with her on the phone. And I was going to write her a letter, letter similar to what you wrote. You know, I just, can't do it anymore. I, I'm dying inside. I can't do it anymore. I'm your daughter. Well, wasn't there a moment where you were in church or something and she was like sitting there shaking? Yep. 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 Yeah. yeah, that was fun. Yeah. At the, at the church in Boston, I, we were at a, I think a testimony meeting or something and she was shaking and it was just, and I was so done. It was just 
oh, it's awful. Um, so yeah, so I came back from Boston that weekend and uh, wrote her the letter. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but basically I'm not gonna do this anymore. I don't believe this and I can't watch you be like this anymore. And I need my freedom. Mm. Um, and, you know, I got the lashing out letter in return. You're a terrible daughter and, you know, on and on. Yeah. Um, and and then, how did you feel about the letter? Like, did you internalize any of it or did you just go, no? Oh, yeah, because it's still your mom and you don't want to hear all those hateful words. It was really hard. Hard. Yeah. And I, but then I called you. Do you remember our <laughs> phone call? I called you and I said, I'm done. And... You said, I can't remember, I said a couple couple things about her and you said, she will never change. Just simple words, but they hit me deep. And I believed every, you know, I really believed it. And that was it. And uh, we did have a few chats over Skype because she was in Rio, you know, after that here and there, but nothing very deep. You know, I just really just to check in, in on her and see if she was still around, you know. Yeah. Would but she that, talk to you about Christian science at all or would she just like not even mention it? No. At that point? Yeah. I made it very clear to her that uh, it was, I was so done. You know, I told her about all my wonderful doctors and yeah, I really, <laughs> I really rubbed it in. Oh, I interesting. Because I to know that it was done. Oh, by, so let me go back just a little bit. So my first doctor's visit. Yeah. come So coming... So making that leap and saying you were done, um, it is harder than you think. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. I remember the day I was living up in the Bronx and I walked outside and I was walking down the street and it was really scary to me because I thought I don't have that protective thing anymore around me and I could get hit by a bus or I could die, drop dead on the street or, you know, there if there's if there if there's no God, then how will I be safe? Right? Yeah. Of course, the answer is you're not safe. And that's sort of the beauty of it all is that this is it. You know? Yeah. There's a term for that, too, which is one of my favorite um, things I've learned is that these groups instill phobias. Mm. So they they all fill you with these fears of what will happen to you if you try to leave. Mm. And it's all the same thing of like, you won't be safe. You won't, right. something terrible is just going to come out of the blue and happen. Right. Um, you know, like in, in groups like Nexium, you know, which are sort of more self-help groups, they would tell you, well, you're just never going to deal with your shit. You know, you're just going to be like flipping burgers. Like you're never going to be anybody. Like there's anything wrong with flipping burgers. I hate that. I hate it when people use that. But like, you know, th there's always this sense of if you leave the group, bad things will happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I had the same exact thing a little earlier than you of this feeling of suddenly this per imaginary protective umbrella was gone he's gone yeah and it I felt was, like cliff was, diving or something for me just yeah free fall. I was very yeah. paranoid and convinced that terrible things were going to start happening and I wasn't protected anymore I wasn't safe anymore but I would you know like you did too I kept telling myself you were never safe you were never safe it was all it's all an illusion the the safety was an illusion you know the uh, 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> if anything, you're safer now because you're seeing therapy, you know, you're doing stuff to better your life and right. Yeah. Take care of your body. You're and- getting mammograms. You're safer than you were before. Trust me. <laughs> so, so the first thing I did after I talked to you was I took everything that was CS related in the house almost and threw it out in the rain. Literally, I waited for a rainy day so no one else could, so it would all be spoiled. So that felt really good. I kept two things. I kept my Sunday school lesson books because I loved my um, teacher at the time, Mary Wilson. She was lovely. And this amazing cookie jar, like one of those old vintage piggy cookie jars that she also gave me. So both of those things were from her. Um, Oh, and the camp beads. We were talking about the other day, the camp beads. So I kept those three things. But then when I moved to Florida, I looked at those lesson books and it filled me with rage and I ripped them up and threw those out too. So I have nothing now. It's all gone except the cookie jar <laughs> and the camp beads. So that happened. That felt really, really good. And then um, going to the doctor for the first time was both terrifying and completely comforting all at the same time. And luckily there was nothing seriously wrong. I had like a mild infection, and but everything else was fine, which is miraculous at 39 years old or whatever I was. And yeah. Yeah. So I remember you first going to doctors and, and I feel like you found very compassionate, amazing standing doctors. Yeah. Because yeah. I told them great. they're gonna ask, yeah. why don't you have any medical history? Yeah. And I told them, yeah, they were really lovely. And to this day, I'm 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 a big doctor fan. I know that they have their faults, but I enjoy my trips to the doctor. Yeah. I mean, I've had mostly good experiences too. Um my first, other than going to get birth control, uh <laughs> my first real foray into the medical world was having the babies. Oh, you know, and when I gave birth right. to my first son when I was 39 you know, the first thing they ask you is, well, do you need any boosters? Like, what's your vaccination deal? And I was like, okay, so basically I was raised by wolves. I actually used that terminology. I was like, okay, I was raised by wolves. So I haven't had any vaccines. I know I need to get them. And I just, I just said to the doctor, I was like, I'm just, I'm really scared. So can you just tell me like, you know, what, if there's any side effects I should look out for, if there's any like danger signs, if I get this vaccine and something happens, like, just talk to me like I'm five, just tell right. me what I need to do. Cause I'm, I know, yeah. I know I need to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm just really scared. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, and they were, they were great. I mean, I'm sure they see shit like this all the time. Yeah. I'm sure. You know, of, yeah. yeah. So my first vaccines were all when I had Bobby right. and, um, and I remember thinking when they put the first little tiny needle in, I was like, that's it? <laughs> this whole time I've been terrified of needles and vaccines. Oh. And it was like, it was like a pinch. A pinch. Like, Barely. are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. just gave birth for Christ's sake. You know? <laughs> that's it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Big so fan luckily, of the doctors. I've had I've had good doctors too. And I know, you know, the state of healthcare in the United States is a total mess. It's a mess. And definitely there are people in Christian science that if they had gotten medical care would have died anyway, would have suffered anyway. Um, but I think it's safe to say that a lot would not have, probably including our mother, 
Yeah, who died alone in her apartment. Yeah, Which shall we shall we yeah. tell that horrendous story? <laughs> can you tell it? I can tell it. So so our mother started to get sick. I'm going to guess when she was around my age. So like early 50s, I remember I her starting to get really weak and and having these like episodes of pain and just things were just not right with her physically you know she'd always been a very like robust person and mm -hmm. that just and I didn't know if it was like a menopause thing I don't know if it was an aging thing but there was definitely again she would always sort of talk about her bladder I'm having this like bladder issue and it's really painful and you know it and it just kind of went on over years and I remember there were several times where she said you know I was at death's door last night and I mean, she would really fill us with this terror of, yeah. oh my God, she's going to die. And I think that's part of the reason I, I mean, of, of many reasons I decided to just completely cut things off and distance myself because I wasn't just going to stand by and watch her die. Right. We knew she was going to end like this. We knew it. I mean, it we was inevitable, it. you know? So we're talking over 15 years, probably, of this sort of decline. At least. You know? <laughs> So, so getting into the 2010s you know you were having sporadic contact with her right mm -hmm. and I was too because I'd had these two children and I I did feel like she should know yeah. about them so I would send her things and we kind of had this little very rare interaction this rapport that was nice you know it was mm -hmm. fine mm -hmm. um but then around 2018 she she was very active online. She had these online communities because she was completely isolated. She yeah, didn't leave never her went apartment. Out. She didn't yeah. work other than just on the computer. So she had a lot of things that were going against her mental health, like constant chronic illness, isolation, having us alienated from her, which I'm sure did something to her, certainly. She yeah. is human after all. Right. Um, and there was a point at which I think both you and I started getting messages from strange people saying, you don't know me, but I'm an online friend of your mother and she hasn't been online for a while and we're starting to get really worried. Yep. That's how I found, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I remember throughout, like, it was like June of 2018. I remember having this feeling of like, okay, like this is the thing I've feared for decades at this point that yeah. it's finally happening you know and then I remember that morning I had my phone under my pillow and it was probably seven or eight in the morning <laughs> the phone rang and I knew what it was yep because nobody calls at that hour that's right and you said Hill they found her you know yeah. I uh I got a call after the Facebook people got in touch with me thank Thank goodness for online stuff, right? Thank goodness. Um, they got in touch with me and I I think my husband called the consulate. In fact, I know he did because his Portuguese was better. Called them and asked them to get in contact with the building and see what was going on. And that's when, you know, they sent the firemen or the police or whatever and they found her. Yeah. Yeah. And uh there was the, the autopsy was inconclusive because she had been there for we don't know how long. Yeah, it's goddamn sad. Yeah, just when I when I say it over in my head, it's just so. I it's mean, sad. I know we lived it, but it's just it's unbelievable. Yeah, and that I think that was the first thing you and I would always say to each other was, "I cannot believe 
that it came to this. Yeah. You know, and yet it, knew it would. And yet this is how it ended. Like this was how her life ended and this is how her story ended. And I cannot believe after all the good times we had that this is, this is it. This is how it yeah. happened. Yeah. You know, and it was because she didn't seek out medical treatment. <laughs> Would she yeah. have lived had she? We, we'll never know. We'll never know the answer to that. I mean, our theory pretty much, I think, is that, you know, sh this probably started with a, a, you know, a UTI of some kind where she had pain okay. urinating yeah. like people do. I've, I've had them, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you get antibiotics and it's gone. Yeah. Magic. And it probably yeah. progressed to you know, shutting down her kidneys and, and cancer because yeah, I think cancer for sure at some point because yeah. there is quite a bit of cancer in the family. So yeah. Cause you yeah. found you went down there and you got her computer. I did. And found some things. <laughs> right. <laughs> well her diary was there. So there yeah. was a lot in there about her and us and all that. Um and not all negative towards us either. I think I might have sent you some ex excerpts where she really felt remorse about yeah. what happened which was nice uh but yeah there was a recording that still makes me rage inside there she recorded a conversation with her practitioner at the time saying that she was too weak to get up she couldn't get food or water mm. and her practitioner said we'll have you disco dancing in no time at all and gave her some stupid thing to read and that was it. And uh, I was so angry. I sent a long letter to the board of the direct board of direction directors at the church, and also to him. In fact, I think I called him. In fact, I know I called him. Which yeah, was you, were, really, you were on a tear. <laughs> I was so angry. Like you were ready to burn it all down. Yeah. 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 But I needed that to you know. Yeah. I, I kind of knew it would never happen, but it felt really good. Yeah, I did call him, and we had a conversation. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember there were there were angry emails and Many. how can we sue people? Yeah. How can we yep. bring this all down? And I'm sure yeah. again, this it was is the a, process. I needed to do it. Yeah. I mean, this is a terribly common experience and something that I'm sure we'll talk about a lot on this podcast is people having to, you know, helplessly watch their parents die of medical neglect. Yeah. You know, I also call it religious suicide. Yep. You know. Um and having to just stand by and watch this happen and not be able to do anything about it is it's maddening. I mean, yeah. I think I've shut all of that off because I just can't let myself go there. Yeah. <laughs> because it it's is so it's awful. Really, it's yeah. so ridiculous. You can't do a class action because they're protected by whatever. I I don't even know, but it's just yeah. something should be done. Anyway. Yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking and again like we'll never know if she might have been saved if our relationships could have been saved we'll never have the answers to these questions mm -hmm. but i personally feel like if she hadn't been you know issuing medical care all these years she would have been seeing doctors oh for sure i think she probably would have been fine you know yeah knock out I that mean, uti and you're done but and it's such a shame because she had glimmers of this is all bullshit. Remember? Yeah. Many. Yeah. Couldn't quite get the deal done. Couldn't quite extricate herself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, like this, this religion just really appeals to people that need to have this sense of control 
even if it's just an illusion, because it is mm -hmm. an illusion, you know, but the illusion is so powerful and comforting. You know, I remember, I mean, that's certainly been an issue for me in my life with my anxiety and whatever else, OCD and stuff like that, is you you crave anything that makes you feel powerful and, and in control. Yeah, for sure. And, but I remember at a certain point, I was just like, well, I don't want to be comforted by something that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, you just can't, you can't like, like this fantasy that people don't actually die. It's like, it's a nice fantasy for half a second, but it's not real. <laughs> it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. But it's meaningless. It's, it's meaningless. better to just go, Hey, it sucks that death happens. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually when I first left other than being terrified that there was no God at the same time I also felt incredibly free yeah right knowing that this is all there is enjoy it it's beautiful crazy crazy yeah. times yeah. I had the same the same thing yeah, sure after yeah. the fear portion yeah um came this incredible freedom mm. of just yeah, this this, this, is it. this is what you get. Enjoy it while you're here. Make the most yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. Connect with people. Be human. Yeah, human things that that bring joy, like listening to music and dancing, and yeah, you know, swimming yeah. in the ocean, and <laughs> and and being able to just be live fully and honestly with the people you love, like our family. I mean, you have this wonderful husband and sons, and you can you know there isn't any kind of crap there are no walls yeah. there's nothing and, I, and i'm a flaming atheist married to a catholic and it works beautifully why <laughs> i have no fucking idea why but it does so you know yeah it's great yeah, i remember once when you were in in that period where you were still you know in that mindset i remember once you saying to me well if i didn't believe everything happened for a reason i just wouldn't want to live anymore or something like that it was this thing of like i have to believe that everything happens for a reason and there's a design to everything mm. and and i remember i used to think that too you sure. know so like it wasn't uh i didn't feel the need to talk you out of that i was just like yeah i mean i felt that way too for most of my life that everything was designed everything was in a certain direction and i think one of the things that got me out of that mindset was when I was, you know, a young girl and first started learning about and studying the Holocaust, mm. you know, there are some things that are just so terrible that you just cannot justify it. You can't think, well, if there's a reason that happened, it was because of that, you know, it had to happen because it's like, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it happened because people can be horrible. That's right. <laughs> That's why mm -hmm. it happened. hideous things, the right. hideous, horrendous things happen. And That's right. this was one of them. And yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a tremendous freedom in giving up this need to explain everything, this need to find a reason for everything. You know, I, I, I was especially interested in my various studies, aka listening to podcasts, um, <laughs> to see how many other groups have that same, this happened to you because you did something. Like in Scientology, they call bringing it in. Like, right. What, how did you bring this in to yourself? And little Scientologist children, you know, are brought up with that belief system of <clears throat> that you made this illness happen or this accident happen because of some other thing, even for them, like another lifetime, you did something that made this happen. Oh. 
It was sort awesome. of like a karmic concept, yeah. you know? And being free of that is just so magical. It's magical. You know? I mean, it's been a long time for me now. I remember when I would still feel guilt about getting sick or something happening, be like, oh, I must have, you know, mm. done something. I must have thought something negative about somebody and then this thing happened. Mm. So for a while, it took a while to like unravel uh, that. Unravel that. Yeah, I get that. But I think I can honestly say that's completely gone now. I mean, it's probably been yeah, same. seven or eight years since I really even had those thoughts, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing that I, I definitely want people to get from this podcast is that, you know, time is actually the greatest healer. It is. You know? Yeah. These things, I see people in our, our ex-Christian Scientist Facebook group who are new and are really struggling. And I'm like, oh my God, I remember being mm. there. I was there mm -hmm. just in this, this terrible place of questioning yourself and, and thinking you're crazy and thinking you're making a mistake by leaving. And, you know, I told you that when I was having those thoughts of like, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Christian science is the real deal. Oof. I would go read the child cases chapter. That's right. In what is it? God's perfect child. Yes, it is. Carolyn yeah. Frazier. Thank you. I would always go back and read the child cases of all these children that died because of Christian science and how it happened and how the parents were manipulated. And, and I would be like, okay, I was right. Just, just need a reminder. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Need a little reminder. Yeah. The, the books are <laughs> so helpful. All those great books. That's what got me through. Yeah. yeah. And you, of course. Yeah. So did you, when I was still in, did you think that I would ever be able to get out? I, I don't know. know, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. I um, I definitely went through a mourning period of feeling like I had lost my whole family. Um, because I, I actually didn't. I mean, the cousins were still there. You know, I would still speak. Right talked, but it was weird because it was weird. There was wall. it was weird, and I I definitely felt like okay, in order to get through this, I think you need to just accept that these relationships are probably never going to really be <laughs> mm -hmm. what you want them to be and or just may not really happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of an odd analogy, but I remember mm -hmm. telling myself, now you know how millions of gay people have felt mm. when their families turned on them for living their truth. Mm. There you go. This is how they felt. And now you know how it feels to be shunned, basically, yes. for just being real. Yeah, you were shunned. You were shunned yeah. by both of us. And I've apologized before. But oh, I'll yeah. <laughs> of course. How many times? I felt so awful after. Just so awful. But yeah. Well, I mean, and my response to that is, of course, I accept the apology. And <laughs> I know that you weren't in your right mind. No. You know? No. And... I give people a lot of grace for just being manipulated and being in a situation where they do things they wouldn't normally do, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I yep. mean, I've been there. <laughs> Anyone in a cult has been there. That's right. Um, and your brain changes. Yes. For, for the good and the bad. Yeah. I did a lot of brain rebuilding. Yes. After Christian science, which I I've told you about, I wish I could find this series. Um, it was something that I think I got through Netflix when they were sending DVDs. It was called This Emotional Brain. Oh, yes. It about how our brains actually work. Yeah, I loved that. Mm -hmm. And it, <clears throat> it taught me a lot about 
consciously like rewiring your brain away from depression and anxiety to the point where I can honestly say like the panic attacks that completely ruled my life when I was younger are just gone mm, completely at this point um, because I've learned tools of how to like get ahead of them and stop them before they start. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that I don't have anxious times or times where I'm feeling kind of low or depressed, but you know, it used to be like, life used to be like this for me. Mm. now it's kind of just mm -hmm. you know because so you know what it is and you know how to you have tools yeah these tools that Same. we were never given because guess what denial is not a tool no <laughs> yeah we thought it was we thought the ultimate way to yeah. live a negativity free life is just to deny all negative things oh God, so ridiculous Exhausting. Many groups feel this way. Christian science is not alone. It was not the first. It won't be the last. No. Well, I'd like it to be the last, but yeah. no. <laughs> People buy into it because they want those negative feelings to go away. Nobody wants to have negative experiences or negative feelings. Yeah. You know, but yeah. we've learned the hard way that just flat denial and turning away from it is not effective. No. <laughs> It gives you OCD and anxiety. That's right. That's right. You know, yeah. I mean, and, I and, so and that that heart uh, problem that I referenced, of course, ended up being just hideous chronic anxiety, um, which I still deal with. I have to say, but it's okay. You know, it's better. I know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's the, a work in progress, you right? Know? I mean, so, it took, it took years for me to really get on top of this stuff. Mm -hmm. It was a long, long process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an anxious world anyway. You know, yeah. everybody's, it, there's a yeah. lot. The world so. hasn't been a great place for the past, <laughs> well, yeah. ever, but especially like the last few years have been extremely stressful. It's, so it's, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. But being given okay. tools. I mean, that's another thing about watching young children grow up. You know, I'm so proud of, how schools have changed since we were kids, mm -hmm. how teachers have changed. I mean, at least here in Los Angeles, there's so much emphasis on, they call it SEL, social emotional learning. Oh, nice. Where God, kids are really that. taught, and I don't know how super effective this is. I'm sure people will say it's crap and whatever, but I feel like children are allowed to have feelings now and they're allowed mm -hmm. to be neurodivergent which is mm. another thing that didn't exist when we were kids and certainly wouldn't have existed in Christian science. You know, no. I mean, I had terrible OCD. I had trichotillomania, as you know, I right. pulled all my eyelashes out for years yep. when I was in junior high school and it like tormented my life and was horrendous. Yep. Yep. And it's not to say that I wouldn't have that today if I were a kid, because I'm definitely wired for that, but I think I would have been given tools Sure. and it yeah. wouldn't have just been go pray about it. That's right. You know? At least we've gotten a hug from mom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, today people understand. People understand being on the spectrum. They understand what yes. ADHD is, what ADD is, Yeah, you know, what OCD is for kids. I mean, I had tons of suicidal ideation from the time I was seven years old, mm. you know, because when you grow up in a mindset of none of this matters, none of this is real, then none of it matters. Right. You know, there's right. nothing to be here for <laughs> and I'm just so glad I stuck around because I had no idea how good life would get <laughs> yes. yes 
And uh, the only other point I'd make is that I've, I'm still in touch with two or three Christian scientists just because they're, you know, old friends or whatever, you know. But I think that it's changed because they all go to doctors. I don't know. I, I, I'm curious, but I'd like to be a fly in the wall and, you know, what's going on there because they yeah. all go to doctors. I think so it's what, changed. What are you doing? And again, yeah. I'm not really in touch with anybody, but I, I definitely feel like the the claws have been retracted. <laughs> um, I found this fascinating Guardian article where they talked about something that I didn't hear of because this was after my time. But apparently, in 2010, the the main church basically disavowed radical reliance. Ah, I didn't. It was know like that. a real thing that oh, they. Oh, that's interesting. We're not doing this yeah. anymore. This is no longer part. Okay, because it and, doesn't. Because it doesn't work. And yeah. I know that during COVID, you know, I look, I specifically look to see like what Christian scientists were saying about the vaccines and, and the church put out a statement saying, we encourage our members to follow local yeah. health guidelines, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think it probably has changed in that respect mm -hmm. of allowing medical care, which makes me happy for the people still in it because at least they'll be safe from medical neglect. Mm -hmm. It kind of pisses me off too, because it's like, well, it's not Christian science then. Right. Yeah. Then what is it? I'm calling it that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. certainly not what Mrs. Eddie wanted. <laughs> oh, that lunatic. Yes. Yeah. So there's part of me that's like, well, it's not Christian science. If it's, it's just like God is love and, and, and then whatever. Yeah. Then yeah. it's some other thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just generic doing? and yeah. Which means it's dying, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, which is, it's all good. I mean, we we want it to just collapse like a flan in a cupboard, you know? <laughs> and I believe that's happening by generation as people leave, as there aren't any yes. converts. You know, it's sort of like the shakers. The shakers yeah. went away because they weren't allowed to have sex. <laughs> right, right, yeah. They're all celibate. That's right. Which there were no children to pass it on to, and the whole thing just went away. It's like, all right, that's there you go. Done and done. That's funny. <laughs> Emoji shrug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I. So I, I. What I would like to cover in in these podcasts going forward is is definitely, just sort of sharing that sense of. You know, I think we all grew up with with this in incredible sense of guilt and responsibility and frustration too. I remember being very frustrated a lot as a kid. Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of anger and frustration because I was being taught things that didn't make sense. That's right. And know? didn't work. And didn't work. And the didn't constant work. struggle and yeah. dissonance, as they call it, of, you know, trying to make this thing work. And then you would have these little things happen that you thought were real, these little healings. And that was the slot machine thing of like but slot machine. that one time it was amazing yeah yeah you know, or, like, or you would pick up a journal and read about the testimonies right and some of them were really compelling very compelling yeah but it's all either made up or uh, yeah i mean that was that was one of the the most heartbreaking conversations i ever had with our mother when when we were fine um there's there's this book 100 years of christian science healing mm -hmm. yeah <gasps> burn it no. i did keep a few books just because for archival purposes um and i loved that book i mean i would read i've read it cover to cover countless times and it always mm. gave me tremendous comfort mm. and i remember 
our mother talking about it. And I remember her saying, I mean, all those stories, all those healings, they can't all be bullshit. They can't, can they? <laughs> and I remember both of us just kind wow. of, can't, they can't, can they? They have to be real, right? Oh, wow. All these stories, all these thousands of testimonies, like they can't all be. And it's like, yeah, actually they can. They can. <laughs> you can. I think a lot of things you can, you can talk yourself into the healing, right. And then write it down and there's no way to check it. I mean, yeah, you know, there are so many, there's so many ways that these testimonies can be false and they're not all people just making them up maliciously. No. I don't think that happens No, or happens extremely rarely. Yeah. I think it's more, yeah, people wanting to believe something, people not understanding how bodies heal themselves. That's right. People misdiagnosing things themselves because God, God knows they never go to a doctor and get told that that's what this is. They assume it's something because they don't right. understand it. Right. But it's not that thing. It's this other benign thing that does go away, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is embellishment and, yep. you know, false memory. And I mean, I've learned so much about how our memories are just so not reliable, mm -hmm. you know, that eyewitness testimonies in court are profoundly not reliable. Yeah. So and interesting. We think we're so sure that it happened a certain way, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think, yes, it is entirely possible that all of these testimonies are either coincidences, yep. embellishments, misremembered, yep. misdiagnoses, yep. you know, or or these rare occurrences of, of a physical ailment just sort of going away, mm -hmm. you know, even when it looked really, really bad, it just kind of goes away for whatever reason mm -hmm. that happens. I mean, the body is still a mystery. It is. You know? It is. Absolutely. So, wow. so uh, these testimonies that are meant to keep people in and keep people invested. Yeah, that's what they're and there I've, for. Yeah, and I've certainly, I've heard enough people in our group, especially, you know, talk about when they were younger, when they were children, making up testimonies to please their parents. You know, I can't say that I did that. I, I definitely believe the ones that I did give, but I can see how easy it would be to be you know, if that's the only way your parent ever approves of you or gives you any love is when you stand up in church and say you've been healed, then yep. why not do it, you know? And I never gave a testimony, so there you go. <laughs> and I gave lots. I loved it. I love public yeah. speaking, so. I know you, know. you do, yeah. I, yeah. I had a blast giving testimony. I just had, I never had anything to testify about, you yeah. know? There's I mean, I didn't really either, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> oh, I got over a cold after a week, like. My my parakeet is better. So yeah, my parakeet got up, got better. Yes, adorable. Yeah, and then we had the little old lady rolling the stone away. Oh, dear, a <laughs> little eccentric. Yeah, old ladies all in their you know, all in their disease, as it were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd like to end every yeah. podcast. I mean, we've kind of gone over these things, but okay. ask two questions of everybody who comes on here. Because okay. things that I'm not 100% clear on. Hmm. Um, would you call Christian science a cult? Yes. Not not in location, but in your head, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would too. You're, 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 you're just separate from anything that's real. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I, it definitely uh, meets the bite model of Dr. Stephen Hassan, who's one of my favorite yes. anti-cult activists, was a yep. wonderful podcast called um, The Influence Continuum that I listened mm. to. And he made up this bite model. So it's it's when a group controls your behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions. There you go. It's a cult. And I, I think it's pretty clear that Christian science does all of those things. It checks every box. Every box, twice. Yeah. yeah. And then the second question is, do you think Mary Baker Eddy was a shyster or a true believer? I think she was um, insane. So... Does that make her a true believer? I mean, I think she was certifiable, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's that means she's not a shyster. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't think she set this up intentionally to defraud people. Mm -mm. I do mm -mm. think she believed it. Yeah. But I'm not sure. There are some people that have information. I don't know. If uh, oh, <laughs> I'd like to group, read some of that. People that really, like, get into the history and there are people that are, like, Oh, wow. Of the mindset that this was like a, a setup. A setup. Well, she did take medicine and so on. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I, that's why I want to ask this question because I'm curious. Just for Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. how much of this was a very delusional, narcissistic woman creating this movement because she really wanted to help people mm -hmm. or how much of it was intended to just make her a wealthy. Interesting. Builder? Very interesting. You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know either. Yeah. Know. I'd like to read the inside scoop though. Me too. I want to know. I want to know what information people have. So well, and maybe in future episodes, people, you know, spill yeah. the tea. As it give, were. give some dirt. Give some yeah. dirt. All right. Well, this has been delightful. It's fun, right? Yeah. We yeah. told our story and our mother's tragic story. And she's certainly not alone in, in that. I think we're going to hear a lot of. We're going to hear a lot of them untimely parental <laughs> or relative deaths and that's just it's just awful just awful but you know but we're good we're thriving i know we're alive and healthy which so that's amazing healthy. we're taking yeah. care of our health we're going to doctors we're and more importantly we're free we're free thinkers yeah that that to me is more important than anything else you know we're able to look at something skeptically we're able to change our minds yeah it stops making sense <laughs> You know, I can get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee and watch the news and not have to read that ridiculous lesson ever again. Yep. No more lesson marking. No more. Oh, God, I dreaded that. Getting up and going to church. You know, I asked oh. my boys once, like, can you imagine what it'd be like if every Sunday I dragged you guys out of bed early and made you put on nice clothes? And <laughs> they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> what? Why would you do that? Like, why would you? My do childhood. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we'll okay. sign off now. Uh, okay. Hopefully I'll have more uh, guests telling their Christian science stories. I can't uh, wait. Soon. Yeah. And thanks so much. We'll see you next time. All right, Hill. See ya. Thanks for listening to Leaving Christian Science. Disclaimer. I'm not an expert, I'm not a historian, I'm not a therapist, I'm just an ordinary, imperfect human who had the misfortune of being born into Christian science. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the host. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace professional, medical, legal, or psychiatric advice.